the Niners beat the Arizona Cardinals in their Week 16 matchup to end a three-game skid. Will they have enough left in the tanks to be able to beat the Seahawks in the final game of the season? Also, in this episode of the Long Live the Bay podcast, I go over my playoff predictions for who I think will be able to sneak in in the final week of the season. Welcome back. I am your host, Lofton Lechner, and let's dive right into that Week 16 matchup where the San Francisco 49ers were able to beat the Arizona Cardinals 22-12 in a game where the Niners really could have won by more. The final score really should have been 27-12 as the kicker for the Niners, Robbie Gold, he missed two extra po- he missed two field goals and one extra point. And this is something we saw a little bit with Robbie Gold last year when he was injured. He started missing a couple kicks, and it's something we've seen recently from him. As his age starts to get up there, he has not really been able to kick anything over 50 yards, but anything under 50 yards, he's been one of the better, more automatic kickers in the league. And just recently on Wednesday, the Niners were actually able to re-sign him for about $7.5 million until the 2022 se- through the 2022 season. So it looks like the Niners, even with Robbie Gold having an off game, something we saw a little bit from him last year, they're still going to go with him as their kicker. And it's a decision I think is, it's just smart because with kickers, you don't really know what you have. And then you already have the repertoire between Wisnowski and Robbie Gold. So there's no real reason to get rid of him. The Niners have they don't even use Robbie Gold on kickoffs as much, so he's not important there because that's what Wisnowski does. So signing Gold long till 2022, it's not a bad thing, even though he did miss a couple kicks. Every kicker is going to miss some kicks um, here and then. They have their off weeks, so that's something that I don't think is that big of an issue. Now, on the offensive side for the 49ers, C.J. Beathard leads them to a victory, going 13 for 22, throwing for 182 yards and three touchdowns. Now, he did also have a fumble, but that was at the end of the first half when the Niners were trying to just get some extra points on the board. They kind of went into a two-minute drill, and Wisnowski was hit while he was throwing the ball. The ball was fumbled. However, the Niners didn't give up any points on the ensuing drive from the Cardinals, so it wasn't that big of a deal that C.J. Beathard fumbled the ball. There was less than, I think, 10, 20 seconds left in the half at that. So it wasn't a big issue. That fumble's not really on him. McGlinchey got beat, which allowed Beathard to get hit, and the ball popped out. Now, even though C.J. Beathard did lead the Niners to a victory, this is only his second career victory, his only second career win as a starter. And it's something to look at where... He won not because of how he played, but because of how everyone else played. Yes, he's still the good. 13 for um, 22, 180 yards. So he didn't throw a pick. He did have the fumble. Not his fault. Um, The only thing is, though, that 182 yards, 109 of those yards came after the catch. So he only threw 73 air yards, which is not a lot. So he was really just relying on the scheme Shanahan set him up with, which was a lot of which was a heavy dosage of runs from Jeff Wilson Jr. And then the everything else that Bethard was asked to do were mainly play action passes, very short, low risk passes to mainly running backs and tight ends as we didn't really see any wide receiver establish himself in this game for the 49ers. And the reason Bethard was able to have that little only having to throw 73 air yards is because of the rushing attack for the Niners. Overall, the Niners had 30 rushing attempts for 227 yards, which averages out to around 7.6 yards per carry. That is insanely high 
and Jeff Wilson Jr. is doing it basically all by himself throughout this game. 22 carries for 183 yards, 8.3 yards per carry. He also did add one catch for one touchdown. It was a 21-yard catch in the first um, quarter on one of the first drives the Niners had. So Jeff Wilson Jr. really showing that he can be a bell cow for this team. And next year when him and hopefully most are healthy, that is going to be one of the better one-two punches in the NFL at running back because the Everyone likes to forget about the Niners running backs because it is a running back by committee situation, and it will be next year where I expect Wilson and Mostert to each average around 15 carries per game, and I think that'll help both of them out because they're both very good running backs. Mostert's a little bit better with his hands, but Wilson still can catch. This is something he did last year against the Cardinals. The reason the Niners beat the Cardinals last year was Jeff Wilson Jr.'s 22-yard 20-yard catch at the end of the game that sealed it for the Niners and has allowed them to win in a very important game as that win helped them become the number one seed in the NFC. So Jeff Wilson, a great game from him. We really want to see more games like this from the running backs where they get very high yards per carry because that's just showing you that Shanahan's run first offense is still working. And if you can implement this run first offense as in any game, I'm not saying to the extent with 227 rushing yards, that is an anomaly. You're not going to get that. But if you can get over 120, 130, 140, if you can get solid rushing performances every week, you don't have to have your quarterback do as much, which in the Niners case helps them when their quarterbacks are not in the top 10, top 15 in the league. So by having such a strong running attack, you help out the rest of your offense. And the one real pass catcher that was able to get anything going was George Kittle in his first game back from injury from breaking that foot. He had four catches for 92 yards, and it was just a really solid day for Kittle, doing great in the pass, in the pass coverage and in the run game, doing good blocking, and then also just doing what he does best with getting himself out in open space and then just getting a bunch of yards after the catch because that's just what George Kittle does, and it was just not, it's good seeing him come back into the offense because when he comes back, you can the Niners prove they can beat any team even when they have a third-string quarterback in under center. And so that's just great. It, Kittle needs to just stay healthy. And next and next week, he's going to have a big workload against the Seahawks. And so we really just want to see how much more can Kittle get through this year. I don't want to see him out on every snap. I think he should play limited snaps against the Seahawks, honestly, because of the injury risk that could happen. And the other pass catcher that was able to do some good stuff was Kyle Juszczyk, who was able to actually get two receiving touchdowns in this game. And that was just good to see from him as every time the Niners were able to get the ball into the red zone inside the 10-yard line, they just started looking for Juszczyk. I thought on one of them they were going to go to Jeff Wilson after he had that big run and he got um, pushed out at the one. I thought they were just going to go back to him. It looked like they would, and they immediately went to Juszczyk with just the fullback little out in the flat there, wide open, no one's looking at him. So that is just another thing where if we can continue getting Juszczyk involved in the passing game, it's you'd like to see it. The only question now is, will the Niners be able to re-sign Juszczyk this offseason as his price tag might be a little bit too expensive for the Niners to afford? That's going to be something you want to watch out for during this offseason. And now, the one bad thing about this offensive game for the 49ers was their offensive line. The offensive line still allowed three sacks, and they were allowing 24% pressure allowed per drop by. So, Anytime CJ Beathard dropped back, there was a 24% pressure. There was a 24% chance pressure was going to get to him and he was going to have to dump the ball up early, get hit, or take a sack. So that is something still 
you don't want to see from this offensive line. The pass coverage from this offensive line is still iffy at best. But the run blocking on this offensive line is key, and it is money as you can see. If you're having a team rush for 227 rushing yards, your run blocking is doing something good, and that is what happened against the Cardinals. And the one final note about this offensive performance from the 49ers this week was this. The Niners were able, with C.J. Beathard, to stay out of third down situations. For example, the Niners went two for nine on third downs. That's not a great, that's not really good conversion, but they only had to face nine third downs. Whereas for the Cardinals, they had 16. They had to face 16 third downs. So the Niners were getting themselves out of long um, third down situations. They were getting first downs on first and second down when they needed to. As for the Cardinals, they were not able to do that. The Niners defense was able to slow them down forcing them to fight for every inch, every yard on the field. And also with that, the Cardinals had six fourth down attempts. They converted on four of them. That's very good. But also that's just showing you that the Niners defense in this game was just swallowing up the Cardinals offense. And the Niners offense, on the other hand, was just being efficient enough to stay out of third down situations and just keep the offense moving. Now, for the Cardinals on their offensive side, they had 27 rushing attempts for 120 yards. That's around 4.4 yards per carry. They also added a rushing touchdown. However, that, that is very good numbers, and you would say that the Niners' rush, past, um, rush defense was not that great this week. However, Kenyon Drake had 18 carries for 45 yards, 2.5 yards per carry, and he did get the touchdown. So that is just showing you that the Niners are able to stop running backs. Kenyon Drake was not able to get anything going. 2.5 yards per yards per carry is just abysmal. That is something you don't want to be seeing out of your number one running back. And just 45 yards on the ground on 18 carries, it's not, it, it is just not great. However, the Cardinals were able to get a boost in that running game from Kyler Murray, who was able to use his legs. He had eight carries for 75 yards. That's 9.4 yards per carry. And this was just a, a situation for him where he was just bailing the offense out any, any chance he had. Because a lot of the plays were just not working. The passing and the rushing was just not working for the Cardinals offense. And so Murray was just kind of having to put it into his own hands and having to make plays on the move and with his legs. And he was able to do that. However, it just wasn't enough to get that Cardinals offense going. As for passing, Murray had 31 completions on 50 attempts, 50, 5 He threw for 247 yards, one interception, and he had a 66 passer rating. So Murray just did not have a good game at all throwing the ball through the air. 31 for 50, that's not that great. Only 247 yards on 31 attempts is not good. The Niners were first forcing Murray to throw a lot of short passes and were stopping any real big play, which just helped them out way more in forcing the Cardinals to have to go into third down and fourth down situations. Murray also threw a pick inside the red zone in a crucial moment where Akella Witherspoon was just able to turn on a ball that was underthrown and pick it off. Murray only having a 66 passer rating just really shows you how he could not do anything through the air in this game. And this might this was one of the games where the Niners were actually able to slow down a top 10 wide receiver. Hopkins caught eight passes, but only had 48 yards. So the Niners were really slowing down Hopkins, only allowing him to get very short passes, which is good. If that's how you slow down good wide receivers, he can have eight receptions. That's fine. But he has under 80 yards. He's not getting 10 yards per reception. That is just good for the 49ers to slow down DeAndre Hopkins, slow down a top 10 wide receiver. 
Christian Kirk, on the other hand, though, he was able to do some, he was able to explode a little bit. He had seven catches for 76 yards. He was their top pass catcher of the day, leading in those, leading with 76 yards. But even then, he still wasn't able to do anything besides that. Now, the Niners defensively, let's go ahead and look at that because that is where this game was just, that was just the story of this game. As the Niners were, the Niners defense just put on a tackling clinic. They had three missed tackles all game. So the Niners, if they if they found you in the open field, they were hitting you and you were getting stopped. You were not breaking that tackle. Three missed tackles in the whole game. And the Niners also added on top of that, nine tackles for loss. So that just really shows you that the Niners defensive line and their cornerbacks were able to just keep getting into the backfield of the Cardinals and not allow anything. Anytime there is a rushing play that tried to come out of the backfield, the Niners were able to stop it. Nine tackles for loss is huge in one game. The Niners defense just really showed out, and it was maybe the most solid tackling game I have ever seen in NFL. It was just really a clinic. And now some of the defensive standouts, the first one I have to bring up, Akella Witherspoon. I do not like Akella Witherspoon. I have been hating on him ever since the Vikings game when he just completely shut down against um, Stefan Diggs and just kind of like, he just regressed. It didn't look like the same cornerback that had been out there for most of the year. So Witherspoon, this game though, looking like he could stay with the 49ers next year, even though he's a free agent, looks like the Niners actually could try to resign him because he had a very solid game and it has been looking like Witherspoon has slowly been fixing himself and becoming a better player. Shanahan has been saying that he has liked what Witherspoon has been doing in practices and Witherspoon, after being kicked off the defense, basically not really playing, kicked off special teams, not really playing. He was just kind of there on the team, not really doing anything. He has finally found himself a role once again on the defense. Witherspoon in this game, seven tackles, one pass defended, 47.9 passer rating allowed. That was the best on the team. And he also added that one interception at the um, near the end of the game that was really huge for the 49ers. It was just a big game for Witherspoon as he just did everything. He did allow one long pass to Christian Kirk in the first drive of the game. But after that, every time they tried to go back to him, he was able to break something up, not really allow anything. He got a couple. He was just really good tackling, very sound tackling, hard hitting, actually, something you don't really hear from Witherspoon. And it's a thing where you could see that his press man coverage really helps this team as he was using that to his advantage to stick with some of these wide receivers, with wide receivers like Christian Kirk. So if Witherspoon can continue to build on this game and have performances like this against the Seahawks, where he can continue to be that very, a very physical man coverage wide receiver, he could stick with this Niners team for years. The only question I have is if Sala leaves in the offseason, will Witherspoon follow? Because Sala has been very, very proud and he likes Witherspoon. Sala likes Witherspoon. The only question is if Sala becomes a head coach somewhere else, will Witherspoon follow him? Because he knows. Witherspoon knows if he will be implemented into Sala's scheme. And Shanahan before this before this past couple of weeks was not really liking Witherspoon all that much as he wasn't doing anything with the team. The next defensive player I have to talk about is our nickel corner, K1 Williams, who in this game he was able to have one pass defended, one sack. Two tackles for loss and a forced fumble that was not recovered by the Niners. It was recovered. I think that was the one that went out of bounds, and it was just the Seahawks. It was still the Cardinals ball. And K1 Williams, when he comes back from injury, you can just see how important it is to Robert Sala's defense at that nickel position because he does so much for the Niners' defense. He is one of the best blitzing cornerbacks in the NFL. 
because he was able to get another sack in there, another pass defended, and two more tackles for loss. So K1 Williams is really showing his importance. I think he probably is a top five, top 10 nickel corner in the NFL. It's such an overlooked position because you're playing that inside position, that slot position. You're not really matching up against the top wide receivers who are usually on the outside. You're having to line up against those smaller, quicker slot wide receivers. And K1 Williams plays that position so well. And he is going to be a premium this offseason. And it's another player. Whereas if Salah leaves, will K1 follow? And this is the player who I think the Niners really need to look to re-sign. Something around a $5 million deal per year is a, should be good in his ballpark. And this is an important player that the Niners really needed re-sign to keep this defense at the top position it is. Because if he goes to wherever Salah goes, that defense will just take another step up. And another, the next two players I want to talk about, I'm going to combine them. It was the safety tandem of Traverius Moore and Marcel Harris. They had a very solid game, combining for 19 tackles between the two of them and not really allowing any big plays over the top. They did their jobs well, stopping the run and then just kind of keeping all of the passing plays in front of them. And it's a good tandem because Harris is the backup to Jimmy Ward. He wouldn't have been playing if Ward would have been healthy, but Ward is out with a concussion. So seeing him still being able to get out in the field and still be productive is good for this Niners defense. Now, the crown jewel in that Niners defense, though, against the Cardinals was Fred Warner, who led the team with three passes defended, 14 tackles, a a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Warner was all over the field against the Cardinals as he was the NFL's the NFC's Defensive Player of the Week, and that is actually the second time he has been Defensive Player of the Week, and he is the second Niners linebacker to have two NFC Defensive Players of the Week. It's him, and it's Patrick Willis. So that's just really showing you that Fred Warner has now just entered an elite, he's in an elite company now, because Patrick Willis is, he should be a Hall of Famer, he probably, he most likely will be, he's one of the best linebackers the Niners ever had, he might even be the best linebacker they have ever had, I think he is. Fred Warner has the ability to become a Patrick Willis S player. He is a player who will be a free agent, but the Niners are going to need to sign him to some. He won't be a free agent this year. He will be a free agent next year, and the Niners are going to need to pay him because he has the ability. He is that guy on the defense that you need to keep for 10, 15 years. He is the captain of the defense. You need to keep him there because he is the heart and soul of that Niners defense, and he showed it this week playing his heart out. And he just picked up plays in big moments. Cardinals had the ball fourth and I think one. And they do try to go try to do a quick pass and Warner immediately just bats it down. And the whole sideline immediately gets hyped. And you get that photo of him and Sala just embracing, jumping up with each other. Fred Warner is everything this defense embodies. He needs to be kept. And this is just another game from him where he shows you why this year he is an all-pro and why he is probably if not the best, a top three middle linebacker in the NFL this year. And now looking ahead to Sunday's matchup where the 49ers will play the Seattle Seahawks in Arizona as in week 17, the final match of the regular season. And the Seahawks are coming off a 20-9 win against the Los Angeles Rams. And with that win last week, they were able to clinch the NFC West Division title. And now, so this is a Seahawks team that is just really coming together right now at the best time. Their defense has just been stepping up after these past couple weeks. Ever since they were able to acquire Carlos Dunlap, that pass rush has once again looked to actually not be the weak point of the team. Um, getting Jamal Adams back has really helped in their um 
in the pass rush as Adams has eight and a half sacks this year. So he is getting to the quarterback and doing what he needs to do to disrupt and slow down offenses. So really, if you're looking at it, this is a Seattle team that is catching fire at the perfect moment. Their offense is once again moving like it should. Their defense is once again kind of looking like it could be a top 15 defense. And this is a team where you don't really want to see them in the playoffs once it comes to that point because they're getting healthy and they're playing better football at the right time. Now, some of the keys to the game for both teams, the Niners. If you are the 49ers, you're going to need to slow Seattle's run game. Seattle this year started out with let Russ cook, and then Russ got burned. He started throwing picks. He started playing worse. The offense just looked out of sync, and then they started losing games to teams like the Cardinals and Giants, games where they should have won, but they lost because their offense became out of sync and just wasn't what it should have been. Now, this after the Rams game, you can see they're switching it up. The Seahawks are going back to what made them a very good team throughout the 2010s. They're going back to that run-first, heavy, dominant run game and allowing Russ to just pass when he needs to. They are going back to leaning on the run game and not leaning on Russ so much, and that is their formula to success. So if you're the 49ers, you're going to need to slow Seattle's run game and not really allow that to get going, because if that gets going, it is going to be a very long game for the Niners' defense. Another thing the Niners need to do is they're going to stop DK out wide and just limit his big play potential. All that means is don't let him get a 50-yard catch on you. The moment he does that, all the momentum swings towards the Seahawks and they can just start picking on you out wide. The Niners are just really going to need to look out for the deep ball, look out for the go route that they're going to dial up for DK and just slow that down. Slowing him down is the key to victory for the Niners on the passing game because if they slow him down and force um, Russ just kind of look more shallow and they can kind of stop all those big, big, deep play, um, big play potential. They have the ability to slow down Seattle's offense as well as slowing down the run game. Now, offensively, the Niners are going to need to run the ball outside of the tackles. They need to just get the ball out wide again, a lot like they were doing against the Cardinals, run it out wide and then just hit the gap run towards the side George Kittle's on. Whichever side George Kittle's lining up on, run towards him, run outside of him. If the hole opens up on the inside of him, run inside of him. But you need to run the ball outside the tackles, running it to whichever side George Kittle is on. And the offensive line this week is going to need to limit the sacks. Three sacks against the Cardinals is okay. It is a decent pass rush at best from the Arizona Cardinals. So seeing three sacks is not amazing. And this is the Seahawks team that has just been racking up sacks in recent weeks. So if you're the Niners offensive line, your pass coverage is not great. And so you're going to really need to step it up this week, especially when you have a guy like Trent Williams out. The left tackle for the 49ers is out this week again. And this could be another situation like we saw the first time he was out against the Packers. Zadarius Smith was tossing around Justin School left and right, and Preston Smith was just having his fun with him. Now, what you're going to see is Justin School most likely go out, go and be the left tackle once again. So here comes the question of, will the 49ers be able to slow down the pass rush of someone like Carlos Dunlap, who will most likely be lining up against School for most of the game? So School is going to have a tall order in trying to slow down Dunlap, and the Niners are just going to really need to limit sacks and keep a clean pocket for Beathard. And it's going to need to be a game like last week against the Cardinals, where it's going to be a lot of play action, short passes, get the ball out of Beathard's hands, get it into the hands of guys like Kittle down the field. The Niners offensively will also be missing Brandon Ayuk. That is another huge blow to the wide receiver core. They are going to need to lean heavily on Kendrick Bourne once again, as Bourne will now be the number one wide receiver. And for the Seahawks, their keys to this game is run the ball, help Russ out. 
don't don't force Russ to throw this ball 40 times. Russ should have under 25 passing attempts for this game. He should not throw the ball more than 25 times. They should just try to, the Seahawks need to try to run the ball as much as they can to allow their offense to get going. Because if you can run the ball, the Niners last week allowed 4.4 yards per carry. Yes, they only allowed 2.5 to um, they only allowed 2.5 to Kenyon Drake. However, Chris Carson and Rashad Penny can probably get going a little bit. Seattle's offensive line is going to need to help out this running game a lot because this is going to be a big clash in run defense versus run offense this week. Niners last week and their run defense really stopped the running back, allowed the quarterback to run all over the place, but stopped the running back. So the Seahawks are going to need to get their running backs into the game and get active a lot like they did the first time when DJ Jowis was just able to kind of take over the game late as the Niners were just slowing down. Another thing the Seahawks need to do if they want to win this game is they need to get big plays downfield. You're going to need Russ to hit DK Lockett or more at least once for a 50-yard pass or a 40-yard pass. Russ just needs to get one really big long ball out there because the moment that happens, it really is just a sucker punch to whatever defense you're playing against. And it's just such a good boost for your team's offense and also your team's defense when they know their quarterback and their offense can score at um, will like that, like getting a big play at will. That's something they need. Now the Seahawks also defensively are going to need to get pressure on the quarterback. The Niners are going to need to limit sacks and the Seahawks are going to need to get sacks. And the last thing the Seahawks probably need to do is just win the turnover battle. When they last last time they played the Niners, they won the turnover battle. They won the game. Winning that is going to be very important to them as the Niners are might not have a turnover like they did against the Seahawks the first time. The Niners didn't force a turnover. So if the Seahawks can just get one or two picks, one or two fumbles, they can easily run away with the game. So my predictions for this game is because Trent Williams is out and the Niners don't have Brandon Ayuk, those are two of their most important players on the offense, along with a guy like Debo Samuel, the Niners are going to lose. The Niners' offensive line is going to allow four sacks, and the Seahawks are going to win 27-10. to And now I'm going to move on to my final segment of this week, where I am going to do my predictions for who makes it in to the playoffs. Now we're going to start off in the NFC least, the NFC East. Let's see. So for them, they have three teams still competing for that final spot. It is currently Washington, the Dallas Cowboys, and the New York Giants. Now, the one that currently holds the spot is the Washington football team. The Cowboys are currently number nine in the playoff picture, while the Giants are 13. So all those teams can still make it in. Even though the Giants are 13, they could still make it in. The Giants just need more help than the other two teams. However, the team who I predict makes it in from the NFC East and steals that four seed is the Washington football team. I think they're a strong defensive effort will lead them to a victory against the Eagles. I don't really think the Eagles offense is going to get going that much. I think the Washington defense will be able to smother that offense and allow them to get a win. Now, Washington's offense, I don't think it is going to perform great, but I do without a guy like Terry McLaurin's list as questionable this week. So without Terry McLaurin, they're really going to need that Washington defense to step up. However, I think that defense does step up and allows them to make the playoffs. Their offense does just enough to get in. And I also do think the Cowboys will lose to the Giants, which will just allow the Washington just an easier road into the playoffs. Now I'm going to look at the six and seven seed from the NFC. And the current holders of those two spots, the sixth seed is currently the Rams, and the seventh seed is currently the Chicago Bears. And the two teams 
the Rams will be playing the Cardinals and the Bears play the Packers. So the two very important games, and I think the Rams and Cardinals are going to make it in. So far right now, the Rams will not be playing with uh, Jared Goff at quarterback. He had finger surgery. He looks like he's not going to play. It looks like Wolford um, will play. Wolford, we did see him before. I think he, he was playing in the AAF, and he is coming out of Wake Forest. I had seen him there a couple times. The name was familiar to me. So we will see what he is able to do, if he's able to do, really do anything, get anything going for the Rams offense. The Cardinals now, they do have to worry a little bit about Kyler Murray as he did take a hit at the end of the game on the final play of the game. He took a hit from Alex Berry of the Niners. Um, it was a clean hit. It was a clean hit, but he did take a hit. So you're going to have to worry about that. Is Kyler Murray going to be able to run this week? And if he's not, then the Rams defense can really get going. So this is just one of the most, I think this is the most interesting game of the final week 17, looking to see who's going to get in. It's that Rams-Cardinals game because so much rides on that game. So who I think, I think the Cardinals beat the Rams. I think Kyler will be, do just enough to beat the Rams, even though he's not going to be able to scramble that much. And I don't think the Bears are going to beat the Packers. I think the Bears lose to the Packers in what is a very close game. The Bears offense has been coming alive. Yes, it has been playing some bottom four, some really bad defenses, but they are still able to get stuff going. However, I just don't think that they're going, Mitch Trubisky can do enough to propel that Bears team to a win. They're going to have to rely on David Montgomery to run the ball, but even still, even with the Packers team having a very suspect run defense at best, I don't think the Bears will do enough to get in. So the teams who get in, Washington makes it in as the four seed winning the NFC East. And the Rams and Cardinals both make it in as the six and seven seeds. The teams who miss are the Giants, Cowboys, and Bears. And one thing I just want to point out with this NFC playoff picture is the New York Giants. As I said, they're currently the 13 seed in the NFC. What is funny about them, they can still either make the playoffs week 17 or have a top three draft pick week 17. I just find that hilarious as a team where you can make the playoffs and that's the best case scenario. And the worst case scenario is you somehow become the three, you somehow become the number three pick in the NFL draft. So that is something to look out for is if the, if everything goes the Giants way, they can somehow be the three pick. I actually think that would be one of the funnier things that could happen this season as a team that was pushing for the playoffs. Instead, they just dropped to the three pick. And also, if that does happen, though, I think there will be a lot of changes in New York. I think that's the end of Daniel Jones time as the New York quarterback, as it looked as I think the. If the Giants somehow became the number three pick, they would pick none other than Zach Wilson out of BYU. Now, looking over to the AFC side, and this is very interesting. There are currently one, two, three, four, five teams that are 10 and five. They have five teams that are 10 and five fighting for four final playoff spots. The AFC South is still up for grabs. However, I think the Titans get it. The Titans will win the AFC South because they will beat the Texans and that will be enough for them to clinch in a playoff spot and become what it appears to be will be the four seed. Now, for the rest of the teams, Baltimore, I think they make it in. Baltimore will be playing the Bengals. The Bengals, yes, they have won a couple games these past couple weeks. They are looking a little bit better. However, I just don't, the Ravens have been looking very good these past couple weeks. Lamar is really just showing everyone why he is still a top 10 quarterback, even though he did start off the year kind of shaky. He has kind of fixed that right now. So I think the Ravens will really just be able to beat the Bengals, make it in, and that should be no problem for them. Now, the next team is the Browns, and I think the Browns are going to lose. 
I don't think the Browns are going to beat the Steelers. Even with the Steelers having to throw out Mason Rudolph out there, I still think the Steelers' defense will do enough to slow down the Browns' offense and allow the Steelers to win. So I think the Browns lose. However, I still think they make it in because I think the Colts win and they are in. The Colts are playing the Jaguars. Yes, they did lose in week one, but I don't think they lose in week 17. And then I think Miami will lose to Buffalo, which will allow the Browns to make it in and Miami to be the team that falls out of the playoff picture. It's just very interesting how it's looking right here because one loss can really just mess up any of these five teams that I was just talking about. But as I said, I think the Dolphins will lose to the Bills because the Bills are currently the number two seed and it looks like they're going to keep it. Um, And Josh Allen and that defense has just been playing really good these past couple weeks. And I don't really think anything's going to stop them. I don't think anything Miami can throw out there can stop what they have going. So I do think the Bills win against Miami. Miami loses. They are out. And that is the playoff picture. Those are my predictions. And so I just want to say thank you guys all for listening to this episode of the Long Live the Bay podcast. I will catch you guys next week.